Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast, a place where we focus on the business side of art to help you attract more customers, increase profits, and ultimately live a life of creativity and financial freedom. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and this week's episode will give you a flash of nostalgia as we chat with Tim Jacobus, the illustrator for the famous Goosebumps series by R.L. Stein. You guys remember those books? I do. Tim shares all about his experiences in the illustration business business back in the 90s and compares it to today's digital methods. He is an open book when it comes to answering all the questions about his creative process, from sketching out the iconic cover ideas to color blocking and choosing the perfect layout. It's all so methodical and way more than I realized. Tim is a master illustrator, and I feel so honored, and I just fangirled the whole time because I got to chat with him about all his experiences in the industry. And if it's been a minute since you laid eyes on a Goosebumps cover, do yourself a fun favor and check out Tim's Instagram where it's linked here, where you can get a refresher on just how eye-catching his work is. I'm even more impressed looking at his work now as an adult artist as I was looking at it as a kid years ago. It's just so colorful and fun and uh, it's just I feel like he's like a childhood star for me <laughs> and and I got to chat with him and he's so nice so yeah you'll hear all about it but let me know what you think about this week's episode with Tim Jacobus. Hey guys I'm here with Tim the illustrator for everybody's favorite childhood books the Goosebumps series. Hello Tim how are you? <laughs> Hi how are you? I'm so excited for today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am too. Okay, good. So everybody is going to know who you are from that short description, but can you give us a little bit more insight into how you made yourself the artist that you are? My name is Tim Jacobus. I am best known for being the Goosebumps illustrator. The Goosebumps started back in the 90s. I did Goosebumps covers from 1992 until... 2003, 2004. So I had about a 12-year run on that. I started in the book business in, I think, 1984, 85. I did my first book cover. And I'm still doing book covers, album covers, a lot less book covers, but album covers and all kinds of promo material. So I'm still illustrating today and staying busy. Yeah, now I'm here today with you. That's awesome. Okay, so how did you come to be connected with R.L. Stein? How did that job come about? So I had been working with Scholastic for a couple of years, and I had done a couple of book covers for them and had proven myself to be responsible. I would get my work done on time. My art would have a consistency to it. There weren't good ones and bad ones. And when Goosebumps came along, they thought that the style that I had would fit the Goosebumps stuff. I was deep into the art side of publishing, and I actually didn't know who R.L. Stein was when they first said I was going to work with him. There was no social media to look up real quick to figure out who he was. And uh, so I did through word of mouth, ask a couple people, and I went, oh, this guy's a heavy hitter. So I had finished a couple of projects and I was in between projects. I had never done any kids horror. So when it came along, I kind of happened to be standing in the right place at the right time. So I was 
working hard to be in that place, but I was standing in the right place at the right time. Love that. Yeah. It's a, it's when a preparation meets opportunity thing and you, you did the preparation and you got it. Yeah, so exactly. You know, there's, there is a luck element to a lot of things, but if you're not, if you're not there, the luck's not going to find you. Yeah. Yeah. So how did the pay structure work out? Would, did you just, just do a flat fee? Did you do royalties and would you, do you do it the same nowadays? Cause we have a lot of artists here in the arts Academy group specifically, and they really like to get into the illustration side of things. And they're like, how do I charge? I don't know. Yeah. Usually in the book business, especially back in the nineties, everybody's structuring stuff differently now. And that's great because everybody has the opportunity to, to write their own ticket. The book covers were work for hire. So you got paid a single price to do the cover and that entailed North American publishing rights. So if you did that and then the book did well and it was moving to Europe, you would get a little extra money for the publishing in other markets. And depending on the size of that market would depend on that check. It wasn't like massive amounts of money, but it was a nice additional bonus to go with it. I didn't get royalties on the Goosebumps stuff. That would have been nice. But uh, that wasn't the structure of the setup. Scholastic did pay me more. So... 1990, digital world doesn't really exist yet. All my art was done traditionally. So my original art was 20 by 20 acrylic paintings. They were brush and airbrush together. So when I would complete the painting, I would wrap it up and I would send it out Federal Express and send it to Scholastic. Then they would take that and send it to a, a photographer who specialized in photographing artwork and they had a really great setup in their in their studio you know place your art in there and they would make transparencies off of that now because they thought goosebumps was going to warrant some you know stuff other than just book covers yeah, paraphernalia we got as far down the road as glow in the dark underpants so they wanted to have the artwork on hand at all times to make additional reproductions in case they lost their transparency. So they paid me more money to keep the artwork. Standard in the publishing business was I give you my art, you take a photograph of it, you're the publisher, you hang on to it for two, three months, and then you send me back my artwork. So I have a lot of original artwork in my attic from them, but I don't have any of the goosebump stuff. Wow. You know, and I think just being, you're allowed to just be the artist and you send it in and you, they, they do all of the business side and the photographing it and everything. And you, you just get to create, which is what we all want to do. Right. So we do, we just yeah. want to paint. Yes. So by the time I got in to doing the goosebump series at the beginning, you got to, so <laughs> again, I'm going to keep hitting this because everybody doesn't realize how different it was. So because there's no social media, you have to take your artwork and you put it in a portfolio case. And I would walk around Manhattan knocking on doors to publishers to show them the artwork. So it was a, a whole different way 
uh, getting your work other than now because you can solicit so many people and show your art digitally now and you could cover a hundred people in a in a morning so back then it was slow and knocking on doors so there was a lot of time spent grinding out getting more work and by the time I got to the goosebumps deal uh, I had a rep artist rep we made a, a deal he repped a, a bunch of other artists really super guy and his job was to walk around manhattan his job was to get all the jobs his job was to negotiate the deals and like you said i got to stay at home then and just concentrate on doing good art and all of that was taken care of by him of course he took a nice slice of the pie but he was a better negotiator than i was because he knew my value better than I did. Most of us artists, that's one thing that we don't do well is value, know what our, our self-worth is. Uh, we have a tendency to look at the negative part of our work because that's what makes us improve. And we have a hard time going in there and, and throwing bombs at the client going, oh, I'm good. I'm great. You know, you need to pay me more. So it was great to have that guy in my corner to be able to negotiate. Yeah, definitely. So when it came to creating the images for the Goosebumps series, did you read the book first? How was the image decided upon? So Goosebumps came out once a month. So RL had the huge lift of writing one book a month. Wow. Exactly. So my job was a lot easier than his job. Now, when we did our very first book, which was called Welcome to Dead House, he had most of the book done, and I got a, a chapter. So I got to see a whole chapter's worth of work. And as we move forward, I kept catching up to him. So I never had a whole book to read. Mostly what I got from RL was title of the book and just a couple of sentences describing what the book was about. But most people would go, oh, that's not good. I want more information. But for me, I liked it that way because if you just give me a little, then I can kind of let my imagination run amok. If you give me pages and pages of information, I'm going to take those details that you give me and make sure that they exist in the art that I'm creating. So I didn't have that. So I got to kind of do my own thing. And I never knew how the stories ended and I was never able to give away too much on the cover. So it really, it really worked well. Yeah. Do you have a favorite one that you've done? Because like the ones that popped into my head is that the mask one, first sure. off, and the yeah. the beast from the east. I loved the oh, it beast has from the, the east. That's the, a pull. All right. Yeah. That's, the, yeah, that's a pull. <laughs> the pinks and the blues. So it's one of those things where I like different ones at different times. I like them all. And or, you know, there's a couple in there where you know, I go, geez, you know, you missed the mark on that one. You could have done better. You know, again, personal criticism. But there's for a while, I'll, I'm going to tell you one. I'm not, I'm not skirting the issue here. But if you and I talk again and you ask me the same question a month from now, I'm probably going to tell you a different one. So I'm a big fan of Egg Monsters from Mars. Okay. Uh, yeah. So just because when it was, again, title of the book, a handful of sentences, I was just like, I don't know. You know, I don't know where the scary part is in this. This one's kind of ridiculous. 
And it wasn't until I sat down and started to do the do the sketches, and then I did that. I often did a, a warped perspective in the rooms to kind of give it a more dreamlike or weird effect. And uh, it worked really well on that one, the twisted tiles on the floor and the egg monster in the foreground. So yeah, that, that one works for me. Awesome. I love it. Talk to me more about your process of how you can, did you send them a sketch first or was it just one full completed thing? No, because if you just run with a single idea, you're going to run into problems. It's, it's really best to submit. So I generally submitted three sketches for every Goosebumps cover. There would be discussions first. I worked with a with a single art director, and we would have a discussion about, okay, here's the, here's our title, here's our couple of sentences. What do you think we should do? And if the art director had a very strong, I think we should do this. All right. So the first idea is exactly what they spoke about. Then I start to think about what my my ideas are going to be. So I know I've covered that base and I'm getting them what they want, but now I'm going to do my thing. And then I'll come up with something that may lean towards that, or I'm going to just go do my own thing. And then the third one should be completely out of left field, just something totally random so that we have a nice balance of stuff to look at and people can make a decision. Now, most times they would just pick... Uh, we like sketch number two. Go ahead and run with that one. I would say not a majority of the time, but a lot of times they would go, gee, we like the figure in sketch number three, but we like the background in sketch number one. So can we put those two together? Of course we can. That's where we want to be making those kind of changes. You don't want to do a full-size illustration and get it done. And then somebody says they want a new background. That's a tough one. So sketches first, everybody decides that we're good, sign off on the sketches. Then for myself, what I would do next is I would take that sketch and I would reduce it down. All my sketches were eight and a half by 11. Then I would take my sketch after it was approved and I reduce it down a little bit smaller so that I would have a six inch image. It was just the sketch and I would glue it to a piece of illustration board and I would do a quick color comp on it with the acrylic paints. No detail, but what I wanted to do is work out all my colors because all the Goosebumps covers have wild color palettes to them. And I wanted to do all my experimenting on that small scale and make all my mistakes on that small scale. And then once I had a a plan then move that to the large-scale painting. And I would probably spend an hour, two hours. That would be really on the top of it. But yeah, work out all the colors, no details, but enough that I knew what was going on. And then I would move to the final painting. So I would then take my sketch, which I said is eight and a half by 11, throw it on the Xerox and blow it up so that it was scaled to my 20-inch by 20-inch illustration board. Then I started to work and I worked with brush and airbrush. So almost always I started by spraying the whole background a base color. Then I always worked from background to foreground. So stuff that's farthest away in the distance, I would transfer onto the board first and I would paint that. And then the next layer would 
go on top of that. And my general process is the stuff that's farthest away would be all your middle values when you're talking lights and darks. Then as the next layer moves closer, then you go a little bit darker and a little bit lighter. So that will create a little bit of depth. And then you save all your brightest brights and your darkest darks for the the stuff that's right in the foreground that you want everybody's attention on. And that way you've created depth in your painting, but you also get everybody's eyes on that important center of attention, main character in your art. And um, overall, I mean, generally it took, I could do the whole process from sketches to final art in a week. Wow. Okay. And I love the way you described that too. You really gave me an image in my head of exactly how to do it. And I like how there's some thought behind it because a lot of artists, we just kind of go and create however we want to. And, but no, you're, it's very methodical and there's purpose. Yeah. I've done 300 covers. I've done 400 illustrations. So at first, it's like that because you don't you don't have a process yet. So you're trying stuff and you're always experimenting. And the more you do it, the more you start to refine it. And then it really does become a very methodical way of doing things. And it becomes very zen. It becomes very like a, a martial arts thing where it's, you do it this way and it's the minimal amount of effort to get from that point to that point. What's nice now is that I've kind of broken away from that. I'm not doing a lot of similar stuff. I'm working digital and traditional together. So it's kind of opened back up again, but I'm stuck in my ways. (laughs) I love it. So say I could sing, which I cannot, and I'm coming out with an album soon. (laughs) And I say, Tim, I am such a huge fan. I would love for you to design my album cover. How does that process start for you? So albums are something that, so when I was in high school, albums were the only way to listen to music. We all had major league album collections. Your your worth as a high schooler was how big was your album collection. So album covers were where, that's what really sparked me to become an illustrator. I was in love with a lot of the album cover art. You're sitting there on your couch going, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. And by the time 90s rolled around, albums were kind of waning in their popularity. CDs were the thing. CD covers were a lot smaller. The art wasn't as important as it was back in the albums. But now we've come full circle. And almost everybody now, when they put out a new compilation, is is putting out vinyl. So album covers are, are back in the action again. So I am hearing from bands more often. And when it's music, I will make sure we get on a phone call and have some conversation because it's not like a book where uh, you can send me a sample and I can read it. I want to talk to you, hear about the process. You can send me lyrics. Everybody will have the song if it's ready. They'll send over the music so I can listen to it, so I can hear what style of music the band is. So I try to submerge myself in it so that I'm not doing a heavy metal cover and these guys are doing Southern rock. So I go through a couple of that. And then almost everybody has an idea. So I want to hear your idea. 
And again, same process. I'm going to give you exactly what you just said, and then I'm going to do my own thing. And I'm going to submit three ideas, same way I used to with the books. And you'll pick one out, and then uh, we'll move it forward. And yeah, now the only difference is I won't be shipping you a giant 20 by 20 painting. You'll be getting your art digitally, and it makes it much, much easier for you to move the process to final print. <laughs> Thank gosh for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Boy, I mean, the, the stuff we used to put up with to get that done, it's so nice because then if I send you over your album cover and you go, oh, I really thought the, you know, the sky was going to be a little more blue. Hang on one second while we're talking. I can adjust that and I can make that sky a little more blue and send it right back to you. And you can go, yeah, that's exactly what I want. So the ability to adjust art anytime the work is in production. Let me back it up a couple of steps. If you hire me and you want a just a Tim Jacobus original that you hang in your living room, I'm going to do that old school. It's going to be a traditional piece of art. I like painting on masonite. We'll determine what size is good for you, but that will be a traditional piece of art. But if you're doing anything with it other than hanging it on the wall, we're going digital because it's only headaches for everybody along the way. And if I can do it digital, that'll move your process. That'll make your life easier in the long run. Yeah. Okay. As you're talking, I'm like, wait, I can ask you to paint an original painting. I'm like, what would it be of? And I'm like, so if I were to reach out to you one day, if I save up for this and I'm like, Hey, can you paint my family into what would be a goosebump style? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Like, yeah. Is that? Yes. Yes. That would, I, that? I like that you're including your family and, and you're going to, you're going to abuse them along with you. Into yes. <laughs> I might do that. Okay, I'll talk to you later about pricing on that so I can save up. I'm serious. I would hang that in my living room. <laughs> okay. Okay, so a lot of artists listen because they want to make art their full-time career. And so say somebody wanted to be a book illustrator nowadays, and they're like, how, how do I get jobs? How would you suggest they go about getting jobs today? So it's easier and it's harder than it was 30 years ago. So... Like I said, I used to walk around Manhattan with my art in a case and you used to bring your art to the publishers and they had drop-off days where you would leave your art and then somebody would review it. And they'd leave you a note in it. And so the ability to get your art in front of somebody meant you had to live in a 50-mile radius of New York City because you needed to get in there on a regular basis to show people what you were doing. So if I grew up and I lived in Pittsburgh, I don't know if I get a chance to do book covers. Now, because of the way social media and email and just the internet and all of that gives you so much more exposure to everybody everywhere. And so you're no longer limited by your, you know, your physical location in any way. You can have, I have equally as many clients on the West Coast as I do on the East Coast. I have people who are overseas and it's wonderful. The thing that makes it tough is everybody has that same advantage. So you're up against a lot more people and who are 
doing the same thing and showing your art. Again, the things that I did a million years ago to get my first jobs, none of that stuff applies. I'm not going to tell anybody to get up at 5 a.m. and drive to the city and pick up your art at Scholastic and drive it around the corner to Dell and drop it off and get back in your car and drive back home and go to work and then get up the next morning and drive back in and pick it up from Dell and move it to Simon & Schuster. That's stupid, but that's how I did it. But that's not what works. What I try to tell people is come up with a way because you got to figure everybody's soliciting in the same fashion. Not only do you need to make interesting art, you need to make an interesting presentation. And I can't tell you exactly what that is, but you need your stuff. Soon as somebody opens up that email or opens up that link, something has to happen there where they go, huh, and they're interested and they want to continue to look at what you did. I always use this example. It has nothing to do with the current world, but it was something that a friend of mine did. And again, this is out of the box thinking. So a guy I hung out with, he wanted to be an art director. I wanted to be the illustrator and we're both getting started at the same time. And there was a pretty big agency in a couple of towns over and he wanted to work for them. And he had submitted stuff, you know, as a, we might not have even been graduated from art school and he went to the university. He probably wasn't even graduated yet. So he had solicited, of course, nobody got back to him. So what he did was on a Tuesday at lunchtime, he went down, like I said, this was in the next town over, went and bought three pizzas. And he went to the agency, knocked on the door, said, yeah, I'm I'm delivering the pizzas that you guys ordered. And they said, no, that was only one pizza. No, we didn't order any pizza. He goes, well, your name is on it, so I'm going to leave it here today. And okay, next day, same thing. Goes and gets the pizza, delivers it there, says, hey, you guys ordered a pizza again? They're going, no, but okay. He goes, I'm leaving it. Third day, goes in, takes the pizza in, goes, do you guys order a pizza? And they go, and now they're like, what's going on? And they're going, no, we didn't order the pizza. And he said, well, I bought you guys lunch for three days in a row now. I want you to look at my portfolio. And they all just went, that's pretty good. Come on, let's take a look. So again, out of the box thinking, try to come up with something different that's catchy. It can be funny. It can be just try to make yourself stand out from the group. I love that. And I think that's a really good mic drop moment to end on it. That's really good advice. Just think outside the box and do it differently. And I'd say everybody can agree that your style is very... If I opened up an email or whatnot and had several of the style of the Goosebumps books that you had on there... It would catch my attention. They're bright and colorful and they're unique and like all. And so, like you said, having a style or just art that's really interesting. I feel like it's easier to sell art that's interesting than it is to. Yeah. But again, you can take your art doesn't like if your style is black and white, you can still make a presentation that's very eye catching. And I'm a big fan of black and white, even though all my stuff is totally saturated with color. Again, we all do the opposite at times of what is our bread and butter. So yeah, again, it can be anything, but just try to come up with something or, uh, you know, just open your presentation a little bit different and it'll make a difference. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I, this is 
<laughs> this is so cool. I'm like fangirling the whole time. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. I can't tell you this is uh, all of us artists get into the business and it's a very solo, solitary thing. We sit at home a lot alone, working out our stuff. And for years, that's all it it was. And so now it's all these years later and uh, all you Goosebumps fans are grown up and it's very, very nice to hear from you and talk about this stuff. And it's very cool that you guys are as familiar with my art as I am. I don't even have to go, hey, Egg Monsters from Mars. You knew what I was talking about. How ridiculous is that? <laughs> so that's very cool. Yeah. I totally, totally appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you again. And I know a lot of people are going to be fanning over this. So <laughs> everybody who's listening, if you, if anybody, if you want to just send Tim a direct message saying thank you or compliment his art or just follow him. And yeah, because I, I didn't even know you were on Instagram. I, somehow it came across and I was like, no way. <laughs> so, I was hiding in plain sight. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll keep in touch. Okay. Take care. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Artist Academy podcast. And if you like hearing interviews just like this in your ear, if they inspire you, then I want to encourage you to go download the audible version of my new book, mural money. It's a condensed version of basically all of the best of the best tips given here on the podcast from guests, plus my own words of wisdom to help you get started in any art industry, plus stories of some hard lessons learned that I have never told before. You can pick up a copy at muralmoney.com. And again, I highly recommend the Audible version. I put a lot of tender loving care to make sure the Audible was extra special and had some extra goodness in there. And it's really for any artist, but especially those wanting to make a profit from a paintbrush. Muralmoney.com. That's it. I'll see you next week. <laughs>